Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. You're in for a treat. I'm sitting down with one of the smartest, most successful television creators in Hollywood, Marta Kaufman. She's an Emmy-winning legend, a mom of three, the co-creator of Friends, a show that's still watched daily by millions around the world. And of course, she's now also the co-creator of Grace and Frankie, the fiercely funny, brilliant show about friendship, aging, sexuality, and starting over. It's all here. What it's like to work with her incredible cast led by Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, the headwinds she's handled as a woman working in Hollywood, and why there will never be a Friends reunion. Obviously, we're going to talk about Gracie and Frankie, but I also want to let our listeners know a little bit about you because we get attached to the characters and then the actors playing the characters, and sometimes it's in a reverse order, but we know so little about the people that actually (laughs) created these characters and made this story and, you know, come into our living room or come onto our computer screen or wherever you're consuming content these days, which is so funny. You can't even say TV anymore, I I feel like, right? I still call it TV. You do, yeah. (laughs) So you grew up in New York? I grew up in Philadelphia, actually. Then went to school in Boston, to Brandeis University, and then ended up in New York for 12 years. What made you go to Brandeis and leave Philly? And Who doesn't have to leave home when they're 18? I mean, it was time for me to, to move on. And I loved my school and I loved my experience there. And I was studying theater and then went to New York to go to acting school for two years and write musical theater. And that's what we did when we were in New York. We wrote musical theater. David Crane and I did book and lyrics. David Crane, of course, for our listeners who don't know, was your writing partner for years And you guys went on to create shows like Friends, (laughs) Uh, also Dream On, Veronica's Closet. You guys had success right away. I mean, you met in college, right? We met in college. No, we didn't have success right away. We were struggling for a long time. Well, define a long time. Uh, 12 years, all those years in New York trying to write musical theater and do television from there and screenplays from there. I had a baby. The last year I lived in New York, I made $18,000 that year. And rent was 1100 a month. Wow. And what made you continue? Like, what part of you just said, there's no plan B for me, this is it, I'm going to continue with this? I always knew that I would want to do something in this field. I didn't know I would end up being a writer. That was kind of a surprise to me. But there was never another choice. I never thought about, well, if I don't do this, I could do that. It never occurred to me to try anything else. And was your community and your family, were they saying, you're insane? What are you doing? When are you going to give this up? My mother was saying I I was insane. She wanted me to uh, go into teaching people with mental disabilities. That's what her dream was for me. My father said to my mother, leave her alone. You never know what will happen. 
You never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And she listened to him mm-hmm. and kind of left me alone. So 12 years of a struggle in New York, and you're in that community, and originally you were an actor. Right. When did you make that switch to say, I'm going to put acting behind me and focus on the musical and the writing? You know, while I was in acting school, we were writing musicals. I used to travel up to Boston almost every weekend to work on, I guess it was personals at the time. Mm -hmm. And once we got into auditions for personals, I did realize I liked that side of the table better. Well, it's kind of amazing career when you look at it as a dossier or on a Wikipedia. It looks like it all happened so beautifully, and it seems to follow this this timeline of continued success. But you informed the zeitgeist in a way. Like, personals was about dating through personals, which... Now you think about, you know, swipe left, swipe right, Tinder, Bumble, all the all the nonsense that's happening now. Then what you did with Friends, obviously, and then what you've done with Grace and Frankie. I don't know whether the zeitgeist informed you or you guys <laughs> informed the zeitgeist. You know, I'm not sure that when we started Grace and Frankie, we ever thought we would be in the zeitgeist. We were creating a show about two older women, about aging and sexuality and and starting over and I thought we would get a niche audience. And we got far more than a niche audience, which was surprising and thrilling. And then Pete Davidson is rapping about it on SNL. Pete Davidson is I like know. the golden child of the Gen Z or whatever. I love this kid. He's just like so talented, so much charisma. And people are obsessed with him. And you've got him rapping about Grace and Frankie on SNL. It's it's that was bananas. one of the coolest moments of my career, I really? have to say. And and that's when we realized that it must be part of the zeitgeist. How um, did you find out about that? We find out about it a couple days earlier, that they were thinking about doing this. They were writing it. They showed us a script that they were going to work off of. And they were asking us if we could take time and shoot Jane and Lily in those T-shirts on the set right. dancing around. So we had to do that. We didn't know until Saturday night whether or not it was going to make it on the air. Right. And I happened to be at a very large event for 800 people and started getting texts <laughs> at 8 o'clock as people were watching it on the East mm-hmm. Coast. Wow. That's got to be thrilling. And how game were Jane and Lily to throw on the shirts and, and play ball? They're totally game, man. They'll do anything. They're great. They were completely game, and they were thrilled with it. That's awesome. All right, well, let's talk about how— You came to the idea of Grace and Frankie because clearly very successful. You have you you could rest on your laurels and do whatever you want at at this point in your career. You could retire. You could start a nonprofit. You could do anything. But you decided to create the show about two women. And interestingly enough, two women that used to be rivals and hate each other and are thrown together. So what was the idea? What was the kernel of the thing? The spark started. As a fluke, Um, I was having lunch with Marcy Ross, who is president of Skydance Television. And I had known her previously. Mm -hmm. We had lunch. She's just started at Skydance. And she mentioned to me during lunch that Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin wanted to do television. I thought she meant together. Mm -hmm. So I immediately called my agent and I said, is it true that Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin want to do a TV show together? And she called me back 20 minutes later and said, they do now. Wow, that's no, they great. Don't. So we started with Jane and Lily and then had to come up with an idea 
that would suit them. We had a few ideas. This particular idea came from Hannah Cantor, and she happens to be my daughter. And Hannah's the one who came up with the idea that it should be two women who were who did not like each other, whose husbands get married, and they're sort of thrown into this aftermath together. I read something that you said that I was fascinated by about how, despite all the success you've had on your other shows at Dream On and Friends and Jesse and Veronica's Closet and all of that, it was Grace and Frankie that actually made you feel like a writer. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? You know, it gets kind of personal, but I'm happy to share. When I was on Friends, I had David Crane as a partner, and I spent a lot of time on the set and doing a lot of the creative producing. David spent a great deal of time in the writer's room. Um, And on the last Thursday night of every season, we would go out to dinner. And it was the last Thursday night of the last season. And we all went out to dinner, and everybody got pretty drunk. And um, one of the writers was going around and talking about everybody, and he said about David Crane— one of the greatest writers around, saying all this stuff about him as a writer. And then he said to me, and when Marta thinks something's wrong, there's something wrong. And I realized that I wasn't seen as a writer. Mm-hmm. And because I had my own insecurities, I didn't come from writing, I didn't start as a writer. It struck me very deeply. When we did the first season of Grace and Frankie, I realized that one of the things I was trying to prove is that I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to prove it to the Friends writers. Those are the people I wanted to know that I, in fact, can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the imposter thing. How many of us believe we are imposters, especially women? I have yet to meet anybody that's outgrown imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still grappling with that. Let's talk about being a woman in this world. Do you find it different now doing a show like this versus doing a show like Friends on Network in a more traditional environment? I have a certain amount of experience that comes with me, and I've had a show that was successful. So I was given a certain amount of respect on this project. It wasn't as true on Friends, We still had a lot of men who were involved in the show and the studio and network level who were incredibly misogynist, and you just had to deal with it. And I would very often, if somebody would say something that upset me, I would have to walk away and let David Crane handle it because fire would be coming out of my nose. We had an experience when we were shooting the pilot. The head of NBC at the time did not like that Monica slept with a guy on the first date Mm. and basically said when she found out that he was a jerk, she deserved what she got. That was one of those moments that fire did come out of my nose. And David sort of had to tap dance. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually gave a questionnaire to the, the test audiences we had. And one of the questions was, for sleeping with a guy on the first date, is Monica A, a slut, B, a whore, three, easy, D, none of the above. And most people said none of the above. It was it was That's very interesting, very, very male perspective. We don't have that anymore. The community has changed. There are far more women that I'm working with. My company is all women. Um, so I feel like I'm much more surrounded in a positive way by women. They don't feel like I'm just answering to white men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm answering to a lot of white women. Yeah. 
Um, so we still have a lot of work to do in terms of diversity. Was there a learning moment early on in your career that changed every decision going forward for you? Like maybe a mistake you made early on that? Oh, there are so many. There are so many mistakes I made. God, let me think if I can pick a good one. You know, there, there are things like story mistakes that you make that you vow never to make again, and, and that's a hard promise to keep. There was a lot of that where I was so sure of a story thing and I was just dead wrong. You know, I think more than having made one huge mistake, there were failures that had a huge effect on me. Things that we wrote that didn't get made, things that we wrote that got made that shouldn't have gotten made. One of the big things I learned during Friends was how to say no. David and I used to say that we were firemen. That's what we were. Um, it was, and it was a lot of putting out fires. And David and I would practice. One of us would say, would you? And the other one would say, no. <laughs> and we would practice that. Um, so, I mean, a very valuable thing I learned is not to do too much at once. If your heart is in a project, you can't split your heart. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. There isn't enough mind space for me to really do what I do. Wow. And with Grace and Frankie, you guys, six seasons. I mean, this thing, this show could go on for as long as, I mean, as long as, as you want to do it, to. right? Yeah. I mean, I think about how many episodes are there now? Eight, one, six, seven, seventy-eight. Chemistry is a big part of the success of the show. You've got Lily and Jane and then Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston. Amazing. And then the four of them together and the kids. It's just a perfect mix. I can't overstate enough how important the casting director is in this process. That's where it starts. It's them coming up with the right lists. We did, you know, some chemistry readings with the kids. I think we try very hard to have chemistry not only there, but on the crew and in the writer's room. And I think it permeates. It permeates. Mm-hmm. What's the age range of the writers in your writer's room? I think our youngest is 30s, and I'm the oldest at 63. Wow, that's so great. It's quite a range. That is awesome. We have quite a range. And what can you tell fans of the show and and listeners here about Jane Fonda that they might not know? Or what's what's surprising that you've learned over the course of, of six seasons working with her? She is the most keenly observant actor, an amazing pro, and she is wonderful to work with. I mean, that may not be a surprise to anybody, um, but you never know when you walk into a situation where you're going to be working with Jane fucking Fonda. Well, that voice, and and you just think of her body of work. She's had so many different lives. Yes, she and has. has lived them all at such a high altitude. It's amazing. Like, yeah. Whatever phase she's in, she's in it 100%. Yes, she is. And she's in this phase right now 100% for you. And she's actually the same age as the character, which is something that isn't often the case. Yeah, we made her the same age. And the other thing about her that's incredibly surprising is how much she does besides Grace and Frankie. I've never seen, she and Lily both, they never stop. Jane does political stuff all over the place. She's always going for this cause or that cause or this candidate or that candidate. She's constantly on the move. 
I don't know where she gets the energy from. Mm-hmm. And then also Martin Sheen, that's got to be amazing, and Sam. They're all amazing. Yeah. You know, every yeah, once in a Lily's. while I'll be sitting at a table read and I'll look across the table and I'll see the four of them and I'll think, holy shit, I'm doing a show with Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, and Sam Waterston. <laughs> that's amazing. And it, 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 to this day, gives me a thrill. Is there anything you can tell us about what's coming down the pike for season six with Grace and Frankie? Well, I can tell you that we are primarily dealing with the aftermath of Grace being married Mm -hmm. and how that affects their relationship and how she feels about being married. Mm -hmm. And they have a new product this year, which I won't get into yet. Oh, that's exciting. But there is a new product. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's talk about friends turning 25. And let's just talk about the fact that I have two children And they are in the fifth and seventh grade, and they feel like Friends is happening in real time. They don't understand that the show that they love and laugh at and think is so great that it's not actually current that mommy watched it (laughs) in real time and loved it. And it was everything. I'm that generation that was, you know, you were writing for, basically, because I'm part of that crew uh, that loved that show. How surreal is that? It's got to be an amazing legacy on one end and then a marker of time passing on another end. It is. It um, when, when my youngest daughter was in high school and the show was just starting on Netflix, friends of hers asked her if she'd seen that new show called Friends. They thought it was a period piece. The longevity is something that you can't go into expecting, or we certainly didn't go in expecting anything like this. The fact that it has remained relevant over the past number of years, I I have to thank Netflix for that because I think it's made made a huge difference to have it on Netflix where people could binge watch the whole thing. Um, I think it really made a difference. But it makes me feel old. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel really old. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been asked questions recently about episodes. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of an episode. And what all three stories that were in that, we did 236 of them. I mean, that's part of it. And part of it, it was 25 years ago that we started. Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. Marta, we're sitting here talking, and I guarantee you somewhere in the world, Friends is playing and people are watching. <laughs> I mean, every hour on the hour in the world, you know, in the world we live in, someone is watching Friends. I mean, people are having Friends parties. And what's so genius about it is that there's no social media. Uh, the clothes are relatively neutral. I mean, other than like the hair and a little right. bit of the, the the thin eyebrows and a certain kind of look, it's timeless. You don't necessarily feel like you're you're going back to a different era. And the hope is that the reason it's timeless is that the stories were universal mm-hmm. and that you want those six people in your living room. Um, that they are people you'd like to be friends with or have friends like that. And they, you know, they don't age in that way and everyone else is aging and moving on in another way. Right. I will say this. I'm totally on your side about never doing a reboot or whatever they call it, a reunion. Thank you. I understand You're the first person who said that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It can only disappoint. It can only disappoint. There is... I don't see the upside in doing it. The show is doing very well right now. Um, Why mess with a good thing? And the truth is, part of the reason I feel this way so strongly is the show is about the time in your life when your friends are your family. And once you start having family of your own, that changes. 
and it was changing for them. So the sh- it was time for the show to be done. To get them back together again, it'll never be that. It'll never be that time in your life. It'll just be getting them back together again. Exactly. Only for the purpose of getting them back together because people want to see them together. Yeah. All right. So who's your dream guest star on Grace and Frankie? Well, before he got a show, Alan Arkin, Anne Margaret, Shirley MacLaine, Dolly Parton. Although that's a tricky one. I mean, it, the Internet might explode if that happens. It might. It might. <laughs> but it's tricky because you don't want it to be the three of them together again because that, that's nine to five and it takes you out of. So you have to find a character for her that would keep you in the present of the show. Mm-hmm. So those are some. That feels like doable. I, I, I would opt- hope so. I'm optimistic about that. What's your favorite part of the day when you when you're working when you guys are on and I have a couple favorite parts. My most favorite part is first thing in the morning when I walk on set and I get to say good morning to everybody and we have our first rehearsal. I just love that. It just the day is starting, everybody is there and there's really something about when you're doing a comedy that everybody starts their day laughing. And what's one of the most challenging moments in in a day for you? What's challenging for me is I do everything. Each episode that I'm working on, and there were days where I was working on all 13 episodes at the same time. You're doing an outline for this one. You're rewriting that one. You're coming up with story for that one. I have to be in post for this. I have to look at costumes for the next episode. I have to look at sets that are coming down the pike. And there are days where every time I sit down, someone calls me out. So would you lead with Marta Kaufman creator, writer, producer, director? What's our first thing that comes out? Writer. Writer comes out first. I'm not sure why. I mean, maybe I should do it alphabetically so I wouldn't have to (laughs) figure this one out. I think it has to do with what we were talking about earlier and coming to terms with being a writer and finally claiming that word. Um, so I'm very proud of it. And and I think everything starts from there. Mm-hmm. Everything starts from the writing. You can't direct something if it's not written. You can't produce something that isn't on paper. So that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Well, I was so excited uh, to interview you for so many reasons, uh, not least of which was your hair. Let's just, you know... <laughs> I can be as shallow as the next person. But just about what it was like for a woman following your your dream or your passion and knowing that you had this talent that you couldn't quite define. Like you said, you started acting and then in musical theater and writing lyrics and, and then going into television and then creating one of the greatest shows of all time and then creating another another one of the greatest shows of all time. I mean, I think your Emmys at 63 alone for Friends and counting, obviously, for Grace and Frankie. You've got a few and, and more coming, undoubtedly. But you navigated this business that was predominantly run by men as a woman, and you raised three kids, and you continue to have a... a a zest for life. You're in it still. You're still in the theater of life. You haven't stepped off. And that is just so impressive to me. Thank you. I, I 
talk to people who have retired in their 60s, and I can't imagine it. I can't imagine not doing what I do. I love what I do. I love having a place to go every day. I love that my mind has to stay sharp. I don't know what life would be without work at this point. I may feel differently in 10 years, but at this point, it's it's hard to show run, I have to admit, but show running is hard for anybody, not just someone my age. Mm-hmm. It's hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, in terms of the kids, I have to say the hardest thing about doing Friends was having three children at the same time. And it took its toll on me. I don't think it took its toll on my children, but it definitely took its toll on me. Mm-hmm. And my kids are great. They're great. They're happy and healthy and and good-hearted. So I couldn't have fucked up that badly. No. Mm-mm. They're still with you. They're still talking they to you. <laughs> and they live in L.A. Oh, they do? Except for the one that went to college. Where's your favorite place to be when you're not working? Malibu. No question. Do they shoot in your house? Yeah. Oh, I thought so. That's my yeah. house. Nice. I was sitting outside one day, sitting outside my house, and somebody walked by and said to me, do you know that's the Grace and Frankie house? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they shoot at my house. Which, the best thing about that is... Very often the night before we shoot or the night after we shoot, we have slumber parties at my house. And a bunch of people will just stay over and we'll order food in and have a couple of drinks and chat and laugh until we all have to get up super early. (laughs) It's become a thing. The slumber parties. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you a couple questions that I ask everybody. Sure. So what are you reading? I just read The Homegoing. Mm -hmm. It was spectacular. I hope everybody reads that. But my favorite book of the past 15 years is We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves, which we are adapting into a film. It's a simple read. I mean, it's it's easy to read, but it's very emotional. All right. What are you eating these days? No carbs. Such Damn it. Great, <laughs> it's such a great question to ask people now. Like, you know, what are you watching? I just finished Killing Eve. I'm watching Catch-22. I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale. I'm watching Dead to Me. I don't watch too many comedies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't like to watch comedies. It's work. Mm-hmm. And I'll sit there and go, where'd that joke come from? And how'd they come up with that story turn? And I don't do that with dramas. So I avoid the comedies. All right. And what are you listening to? Podcasts. You know, I love stories. I love stories, and every podcast is a kind of story. And, you know, things like Radiolab, who go at it from several different angles, very often using science, I find fascinating. As a kid growing up in Philly and being obsessed with musicals and that whole world, what was the first musical that you saw that made you think, oh, that's what I want to do? Well, there are two of them. The first musical I ever saw was Oliver, that Davy Jones was in and Georgia Brown And it was eye-opening. It was so eye-opening. I loved it so much. I was so moved by it. The next thing that really changed the way I look at things was Pippin. Not that it's the best musical there ever was, but I was blown away by the theater magic and the choreography. I was blown away by it. And it, it sort of opened me up to a whole new way of looking at musical theater for me. And then, of course, there was Sondheim. 
um, who changed everybody's life. And when Lily Tomlin was on Broadway with Search for Signs of Intelligent Life, when it was over, I couldn't leave the theater. I was just gobsmacked. Well, you've worked some musical theater into Grace and Frankie, which I love. And that, that Martin loves it too. <laughs> the scene in the dress barn when he wins the the, <laughs> the shoe tapping. and the tapping and the whole speech is just brilliant. But is there a future? Are we going to maybe? Is that one of the things on the bucket list? Is to do a musical for Broadway? It is. It is on my bucket list. I haven't written lyrics in a long time, but um, I miss musical theater. I miss that kind of rehearsing and the kind of rewriting as you go along. And yeah, I miss it. And I hope to do it one day. Oh, that's great. I hope to see it one day. Thank you. Thanks so much, Marta. Thank you. Grace and Frankie is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Present Company is produced by Netflix and Gimlet Creative. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.